Well, Lord, we do sing amen. And we say amen in agreeance, in agreeance with the words that were just proclaimed, that all glory and honor and blessing is yours, that you brought us out of the grave, that in you there is hope. God, we, we come to you today. We thank you for the chance to gather digitally in homes, but yet be connected because we know you, because we're called by you, because we have your word. And Lord, we ask that you would be with us. Father, as we dive into scripture now and open the Bible, God, we ask that you would shape us, that you would help us become more and more like your son, that we'd be transformed and become more and more like him, that Lord, that you would open our ears to what you want us to hear, open our eyes to what you want us to see, and Lord, that the words that I say would simply be words from you. God, we look to you. We ask that you watch over us, that you guide us and lead us, and it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Once again, so glad that you are joining us for our service just to continue our study and continue worshiping the Lord, continue our study of God's word. I miss all of you terribly. I cannot wait till we can get back together again. Uh, It was so great to be together a little bit last week as we had the drive-in service and uh, so wonderful to see people's faces that were filled with so much excitement, so much joy, smiling faces. And then at the same time, people crying because they were so overwhelmed with all that was ahead. Um, Thank you for joining us. Want to open our scriptures today to James chapter five, starting in verse seven. Let me read for us. It says this, be patient, therefore brothers, until the coming of the Lord, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider these blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job and you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no so that you may not fall under condemnation. Today, the heart of the savior is rooted and grounded in long suffering, long suffering, or you might know it better as patience, as patience. Now we all know the phrase, patience is a virtue. Maybe your mom or dad or teacher or whoever it was said it to you when you were a child. And we were reminded that we're to be patient. And there's another great phrase out there that, that maybe, uh, maybe you've been or heard of before. It says this, it says, when you pray for patience, God doesn't actually give you patience, but he gives you the opportunity to be patient. So maybe some of you are uh, gonna consider and maybe think about whether or not you really want to pray for patience. This uh, topic is interesting for us today as we kind of continue through the fruit of the spirit and really understand the heart of the savior. But it's interesting for us as we are living in this season of quarantine, living in this season with COVID-19 and all that's taking place and continuing to discover what God has for us. But 
even before quarantine, even before COVID-19, even before we were kind of stuck in our homes, we were a culture that was obsessed, that is obsessed with getting things right away. You, you know it, we, we love it. We, we love that we can get things right away. Just, just think of um, Instagram, right? And I said Instagram, right? Because it's a it's an Instagram, but it's instant. It's right away. I, I'm having a great meal at a restaurant, or I'm out with my kids, and I want people to know about it right away. So I'm going to post a picture, put it up online, and people are going to see it instantly, right? Um, mobile ordering, mobile ordering, right? I I don't want to wait in line when I get to the restaurant or to the coffee shop or to wherever it is I'm going for my item. I wanna order it on the way so that when I arrive, it can be there waiting for me so I don't have to wait in line at all. And now everything seems like it's mobile ordering because you can't go inside. So you have to mobile order, right? We wanna send text messages and we don't wanna write letters. When was the last time you received or wrote a handwritten letter? We don't really like the idea of snail mail. That's what we've called it actually, right? We all want quarantine to be over. We, we, I was thinking the other day, just think of even the toll road. The toll road is built around the idea of impatience, of getting things automatically right away. I am willing to pay $8 if it means I can save six minutes of my life, right? We don't really wait. I remember as a young child, we learned the idea of patience. We learned the concept of patience. We were lucky enough to be able to spend time up in Mammoth Mountain and it was about a five and a half hour, six hour drive. And now I look at it and it's not a big deal. But as a seven or an eight year old, I was like, what are we gonna do for six hours in the car, right? And I, I'm a middle child of an older brother, younger brother. So uh, often 20 minutes in, we were like, yay, we're going to Mammoth. It's awesome. It's great. But the impatience came out and sooner rather than later, we were fighting and punching each other and messing around with each other. And I remember the day that we got a car, right? We got a big van with a TV in it. And it was like, oh, everything's changed. The trip to Mammoth is now different. We're now not counting the hours. We're counting it in episodes or shows or movies. How many more movies till we get to Mammoth, right? And that was kind of soothing to my impatience in me. Today, I wanna continue this discussion of long suffering, continue this discussion of patience, not just for the season that we're in, but really to continue to understand the heart of the savior, the heart of Jesus, as we understand his love and continue to live out what this means to be people that are patient, that demonstrate this long suffering. I, I wanna read for you a couple dictionary definitions. It's from Holman Illustrated Bible Dictionary. It says this of patience, active endurance of opposition, not a passive resignation. Patience and patient are used to translate several Hebrew and Greek words. Patience is endurance, steadfastness, long suffering, and forbearance. Another dictionary, the Baker Encyclopedia says, the ability to take a great deal of punishment for, from evil people or circumstances without losing one's temper, without becoming irritated or angry, or without taking vengeance. It includes the capacity to bear pain or trials without complaint, the ability to forbear under severe provocation and the self-control which keeps one from acting rashly, even though suffering opposition or adversity. I want you to hear a couple things. 
And we're gonna discover this as we continue in the scriptures, but those encyclopedias are a great resource for us as scholars have put those together based on God's word. Patience is both a, a patience to wait for something to happen, but it's also, I want you to remind you, it's an active endurance of opposition, right? Often, often throughout scriptures, anytime patience is referenced, it's usually referenced in conjunction with trial, in conjunction with some sort of opposition. It goes hand in hand. That's why it said, God doesn't give you patience. He gives you the opportunity to be patient, right? We're told all throughout the scriptures of the different ways that patience or long suffering is to be a part of our life. Listen to this. It's of course, one of the fruit of the spirit. That's why we're discovering it as we continue with love, joy, peace, patience, or long suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things. There is no law because it's the fruit of the spirit. We are in Colossians chapter three, verse 12, that patience is to be something that we actually put on. It says this, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. It is described as a part of love. And in first Corinthians chapter 13, verse four, it says, love is patient. It's kind. It does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant. If you skip to verse seven, it says, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. We get this picture of patience as we understand the definition of love. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10, Paul's writing to Timothy and commending him on the way that he's followed Paul, right? Paul was discipling Timothy. He said, follow me as I follow Christ. And he's commending him on the way that he did that. He said, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, and my steadfastness. So we know that patience is a virtue. We know that when we pray for it, God's gonna give us opportunity to be patient. We've seen through just five references, the many different ways that patience is referenced all throughout scripture. So the question for us then becomes, how do we do this? How do we attain this patience? How do we achieve this patience that we're living out? Remember, all of this is rooted in the heart of the savior. And the heart of the savior is of course, love. Let me remind you from the book of Ephesians, Paul is wanting us to understand. He wants us to understand the breadth, the length, the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. So that love that starts with Jesus, we've been walking through that as we're discovering the heart of the savior. We started on Easter. We actually started it on Good Friday with the thief on the cross. And we started on Easter and we've continued since then to discover the heart of the savior, to understand the height, the breadth, the length, the height, the depth of of Jesus's love for us. So we're gonna continue in that and see how Jesus's love, God's love is represented in the patience that he demonstrates to us. And then the challenge will be for us as we are being shaped into becoming more and more like Jesus, that we would then demonstrate patience in 
our world. So let's jump into it really quick. We're not going to jump directly into the James passage. We're going to get to that in just a second. But I want to go back with us really quick, actually to the Old Testament. Because this patience idea is not a new idea. It's been around. It's been around as long as God has been around. And we're going to discover that as we jump in. You can turn your Bibles to the book of Exodus. I'm going to walk us through the journey of the Israelites just in a couple shoot. A few short chapters as we discover how God defines himself. Now, remember, the Israelites uh, ended up in Egypt, right? They were the kind of the Hebrews at that time, and they were there, in, and they turn out to be in slavery because Pharaoh forgot about Joseph, right? And in this slavery, they're now crying out to God. We, we hear about Pharaoh killing the babies and Moses going down the Nile, ending up in Pharaoh's household, but raised by his own mom and only the way that God could orchestrate it. And eventually we get to a place where the, the Israelites are crying out to God. They're asking for a savior to someone to deliver them. God sends Moses and we see the plagues, the 10 different plagues that eventually Pharaoh says, go be gone. One of the most significant plagues, obviously being the Passover, which is just a good picture of Jesus all the way back in the Old Testament. But I want you to hear right after the 10th plague, when Pharaoh finally changes his mind, after the Israelites have been crying out, save us, send someone to take care of us, protect us, deliver us. Listen to what happens after the 10th plague. They're, they're at the edge of the Red Sea. And the picture is the, the, Israel, or the Egyptians all on one side because Pharaoh has kind of changed his mind and sent all the chariots. And the Red Sea on the other, which meant certain death for them because there was no swimming class back in, uh, in, in this time, right? And it says this, they get to the edge of the Red Sea and what happens? The Israelites do what? They start to complain. They start to grumble. Exodus chapter 14, verse 11 and 12. Then they said to Moses, Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is, it, is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Isn't it so interesting that when we cry out for God and, and he takes us to a place where it's now a little bit uncomfortable and inconvenient, our patience vanishes, our long suffering vanishes. And now they're complaining to Moses going, uh, we would have rather been back in slavery rather than dying out here in the wilderness, right? That's, that's basically what they're saying. Just, just take us back, put us back in slavery. We'll, we'll be okay with that. We just don't want to die out here in the wilderness. Well, eventually they cross the Red Sea. They make it through. There's a, a wonderful celebration. And just a couple chapters later, the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumble because now they are what? Now they're hungry. So much so that they, maybe they're even hangry, right? Hungry and angry, you get really hangry, right? And the people of Israel, Exodus chapter 16, verse three, and the people of Israel said to them, would that we have died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by our meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out in the wilderness to kill us, kill the whole assembly with hunger, right? They're complaining, they're grumbling, they're, they're mad at God going, why did you take us out here and have nothing? And what does God do? God provides manna. God provides bread from them from heaven to be sustained each and every day. Well, 
Skip to the next chapter. Exodus chapter 17, verses two and three. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water and the people grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us out into Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Just in three short chapters, 14, 16, and 17, I guess that's four short chapters, right? We hear the Israelites complain three times. We would have rather been back in Egypt in slavery than die in the wilderness. And now we're going to die because we don't have any bread. And now we're going to die because we don't have any water. But what does God do? Each time he provides, each time he gives to the people, right? And, and, I, and I'm trying to live this out in my own life with my own kids, right? And I'm trying to help them, right? My kids are, I'm so hungry. I'm so thirsty. I go, can you use your words in a nice way and ask me to get you a cup of water? Or you know where the cups are and you know where the refrigerator is, right? And, and, and God just in his long suffering, in his patience, demonstrates his love for the Israelites. Well, it goes on even further. If you uh, fast forward through the book of Exodus, we, we hear the 10 commandments. We get a bunch of other laws. We talk about the construction of the, of the tabernacle and a lot of pieces related to that. But in Exodus chapter 32, Moses goes up onto Mount Sinai once again for his uh, numerous times he's done that to meet with God. And he's up there for 40 days and 40 nights. And in this time, we hear of the Israelites being impatient. If you're not in Exodus already, turn to Exodus chapter 32. It says this, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, up, Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not uh, know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, take off the rings of gold and that are in your ears or your wives or your sons or your daughters and bring them to me. So the people took off all the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool, made a golden calf and said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, tomorrow you shall feast to the Lord. And, and they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and bought peace offerings. And people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. So check it out. God has provided for them time and time again. They're wandering the wilderness. They're, they're getting instructions on God's law, the 10 commandments, other laws, instructions on how to build the tabernacle. Moses goes back up the mountain. And what do they do? They get impatient. They get impatient. They don't long suffer. They don't wait for Moses to come back. And what do they do? What do they do? They think that their connection to God, because they can't see Moses, they think that God has left them. They think that Moses is dead because they can't wait a couple days, right? So what do they do? They make other gods for them. They sacrifice parts of their, what's valuable to them. And they participate in rituals and actions that they know that they've just been commanded not to do, to not worship any other gods, right? Moses comes back down. Moses comes back down and it is just chaos. 
Moses is blown away and he sees what's going on and he gets mad. And there's a lot that takes place. And I would encourage you to jump into it. But basically what happens is he has the 10 commandments and he in his hands, he drops them on the ground. They break. He burns up the golden calf and puts it in water, makes all of them drink. 3000 men are, or uh, people are killed. There's a plague and it's just, it's not great. And it's a reminder that when we're impatient, right? When we ourselves are impatient, when we don't long suffer ourselves, that there's consequences. There's consequences and there's suffering that's going to take place. Well, if you skip to the next chapter, uh, finally, God says to Moses that you're going to leave Mount Sinai and you're going to go. And Moses has a conversation with him that says, we're not going without you. You got to come with us, right? And he also says to him, he, he wants to see his face. He wants to see actually his glory. And that's where we're going to pick up in Exodus chapter 34. It says, the Lord said to Moses, cover yourselves two stones, two stone tablets like the first. He's got to make new ones because the other ones broke because he was in such awe when he came down to the golden calf. Write on the tablets, the word that were on the first tablets, which you broke. Be ready in the morning, come up in the morning in Mount Sinai and present yourself there to me on top of the mountain. So God has said, I'm going to let you see my glory. You get to see my back actually right? No one shall come with you and let no one seen throughout all the mountain. Let no flocks or herds graze opposite the mountain. So Moses cut the two tablets of stone and he rose early in the morning and went up to Mount Sinai and the Lord has commanded him. He took in his hand two uh, tablets of stone and the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. God is declaring his name to Moses. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands of generations, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who by no means clears the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers of the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Did you hear what it said? Listen to how God defines himself. After all he's been through with the Israelites, He says this, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. That that slow to anger, that's the long suffering. God is the, the precedent of patience. God sets the example of patience. God defines himself as long suffering. It's one of his attributes. And if you look into it even further and you see how he says mercy and grace and steadfast and faithful, all those other attributes continue to help him and the slow to anger part of who he is. He defines himself as long suffering. And hasn't he demonstrated that so far? Hasn't he demonstrated that so far with the Israelites that continue to complain and worship other gods and build a golden calf? And he still says to them, I'm long suffering. I'm long suffering. I'm patient as God, your heavenly father. I am patient. And God, God is being patient and long suffering. And and we've only read 
33, 34 chapters of the book of Exodus, we haven't even got to the later books of the Israelites, of the story of the Israelites in which they spy out the land, but they doubt God and they have to wander the wilderness for 40 years and they get in the land eventually, but they worship other gods and they do all these things. But God is long suffering. He's slow to anger. He's patient. He's active in that endurance of opposition, even when we are that opposition to him or the Israelites are that to him, he suffers. Now I've already said, I know it's a difficult thing to do, right? As a, as a father, it's hard when my kids don't understand. And for when the hundredth time I've asked my child to not yell in the car when I'm driving, right? And I'm on the edge of losing my mind. And it even happened before I came and preached today, right? I'm driving and learning all this stuff about patience and God is testing me, right? And my, one of my kids just loves to yell in the car. All of a sudden we're driving, having a great time, listening to music. All of a sudden it's the loudest yell you can hear. And it just catches me off guard. Jesus tells a, another parable in Matthew chapter 21 to illustrate God's long suffering. He says this, here another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to the tenants and went into another country. When the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenant to get his fruit. And the tenants took his servants, beat one, killed another and stoned another. Again, he sent his servants more than the first and they did the same to them. Finally, he sent his son to them saying, they will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and they killed him. When therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to the tenants? Jesus is asking the crowd there. They said he will put out those wretches to a miserable death and let the one let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in the season. And Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. Jesus tells this parable, a story to illustrate the kingdom of heaven, to, to illustrate what God is like. And he, he paints the picture so well, right? There's a vineyard, there's a, a, a location, a world in which people are put in charge to kind of lead and take care of it. And he sends his servants to go, right? And, and the people, when they arrive, when the servants arrive, what do they do? They, they kill him, they stone him, right? They beat one of them. And then he says, he sends more servants and they do the same to that. And then he finally sends his son. But what do they do with the son? With the son, they do the same exact thing. But we're reminded of, of God's patience in that picture, that long suffering that God demonstrates as he defined himself in Exodus, that he is the, the precedent of patience. He defines himself as long suffering. Well, if God is the definition, God, the father defines himself as that, then Jesus, of course, is the example of endurance, the example of that long suffering, the example of that patience, right? We're, we're told that Jesus comes to earth. He comes to earth and, and he comes to his people, but his people don't really recognize him, right? He endures becoming a man. He endures being born as a baby. He endures being born and living in a, in a little town of Bethlehem and living in where? Nazareth. Can anything good come from Nazareth? One of the people say in the Bible. 
He comes and when he finally shows up on the scene, the Pharisees are constantly trying to trap him. They're constantly trying to catch him in, in his words to try and see if he really knows the word. They're trying, to, they're trying to kill him. People follow him at times, but they're really only following him because of some of the signs that he's doing. And when he, when he does amazing signs, he has followers. But when he says something hard or difficult or demands allegiance and says, pick up your cross, carry it daily, follow after me, a bunch of people leave. The disciples, even his own crowd, Time and time again, he's, he's long suffering with the disciples. He's trying to teach them and show them and encourage them with miracle after miracle and teaching after teaching. But time and time again, we see Peter make mistakes and say, God, Jesus, you're not going to go to the cross or I'll never deny you. But then he does. Or doubting, doubting Jesus when they're on the, the lake in the storm. They say, do you even care about us? And Jesus says, why do you doubt you of little faith? Jesus time and time again demonstrated his endurance, his long suffering with the Pharisees, with the religious leaders, with the people of the day, with the disciples. But he demonstrates his endurance and he's our example of endurance, our example of patience and long suffering. Most clearly when he goes to the cross and says this in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through three. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance, with long suffering, the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse three says, Consider him who endured from sinners, such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint hearted. Jesus, as God has defined himself as long suffering and patient, Jesus comes to earth and he's the expression of that. He's the example of that in the way that he walks with people in the time that he's here, but most clearly as he suffers through the beatings and the whippings and the mocking and the spitting and the punching and the trials and the questioning of his authority as he makes his way to the cross. And he does that because Jesus is the expression of that long suffering. He's the example of that patience. Even when he's standing or not standing, when he's uh, hanging on the cross and they're standing there uh, uh, taking his clothes and, and rolling dice and casting lots to figure out where his clothes are going. And the thief is on the cross uh, reviling him. He's long suffering. It says this in Philippians chapter two, verses six through 11. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God, the father. He endured, he long suffered and became a man and came to earth. And even though he was challenged in his teaching from his followers, from even those that were close to him as the disciples, they questioned him many, many times. He continued to endure. 
and go to the cross. Well, if Jesus is the expression and the example of endurance and patience and long suffering, then the spirit patiently executes transformation in us. God defines himself as being long suffering. Jesus is the expression of that. And the spirit patiently executes transformation in us. Now, remember the story I told you, and I'm going to go through it quick. But I want you to go back and read it in Exodus chapter 34, because this verse that Paul references in 2 Corinthians is going to make a lot more sense. But it says this in Exodus 34, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, and he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know the skin of his face shone because he was talking with God. Check it out. Moses' face, because he had just seen God's glory and had this experience, his face was glowing. We find out later in Exodus 34 that the people were actually afraid. So he puts a veil over his face. We find out later, Paul will comment on this and and do kind of a commentary of this experience in 2 Corinthians chapter three, verse 18. He'll say this. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the spirit. Check it out. Moses put the veil over his face because the people were kind of afraid of him. And and ultimately the, the shining of his face faded away as he got further and further away from his experience up on Mount Sinai. But Paul reverses it for us. He changes it for us. He says, the spirit is going to patiently transform us. We're not wearing a veil because our shining face is going away, but we're actually moving from one degree of glory to another, to another, to another, as we're transformed by the spirit to become more and more like Jesus. God defines himself as long suffering. Jesus is the example of endurance and the spirit patiently executes transformation in our lives when we allow him to. Romans chapter 12, verse two says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. By testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That transformation that takes place is done by the spirit. So that's the the precedent of patience. But I want to get in really quick to the practice of patience. Turn back with me to James chapter five. And we'll go through this quickly. And I hope that you'll spend some time in this section sometime this week, James chapter five, verses seven through 12. But James gets really practical for us. And James is the half brother of Jesus. And uh, he's writing really, uh, James is referred to as kind of the the wisdom book of the the New Testament. He's really doing uh, kind of a sermon on the Mount take two, as he continues to reference all that Jesus referenced in the sermon on the Mount. But it says this, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. James chapter five, verse seven. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Let's pause there for right now. Just those first three verses. He calls us to establish our hearts. 
Establish your hearts. Practicing patience is about establishing our hearts on what? What does it say? For the coming of the Lord is at hand. He says that we're to be like the farmer. We're to be like the one that, that, that tills the soil and plants the seed and waits on God for the rain. I, I, I referenced uh, uh, earlier this week in 1038, how I had built a garden box at the beginning of quarantine time with my kids. And it's, it's serving to be a wonderful illustration of this patience that God is calling all of us to. And it says that, that the farmer waits for the precious fruit. We, we have a, a, a couple of plants of strawberries and it's amazing. Ryder will get up each morning. He'll run out to his garden box, not every morning, but on the mornings he does, he runs out to his garden box and he'll see the bright red precious fruit that is the strawberry. He'll instantly pick it and consume it. And it's over all in a matter of seconds, right? And we've worked so hard to grow that fruit. But, but that is what James is trying to get us to understand. He wants us to establish our heart, set our hearts on the fact that Jesus is coming back. He has promised to return. It's going to take time. If you know anything about farming, it, it takes weeks and years and so much time to truly get a harvest. My father-in-law, John, has an avocado tree in his backyard. The first year, he didn't get any avocados. The second year, four avocados. The third year, eight avocados. This year, we're selling guacamole at the market. No, we're not really, but we're hoping for a large harvest. But the illustration is there, right? It takes time to be patient, to wait like the farmer has waited and to rely on the one who sends the rain, to long suffer, to wait on God who is defined as long suffering, to follow the example of Jesus. And continue that. He adds a note at the end in which he says, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. James is trying to remind them, don't grumble like the Israelites did. Remember what we talked about? The Israelites grumbled. And it's easy for us. I think he knows that it's easy when we're impatient that the words will just come out and we'll say something we don't really mean. He's saying, don't grumble. Instead of, being angry and upset and frustrated, look to God. Look to the judge who's at the door. He's standing there. He's right there. Jesus is coming. Remember what it says in the book of 2 Peter. He says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. We got to wait for that wonderful fruit that is coming. The fruit that's in our own lives as we are patient. God will continue to refine us and change us and shape us. But the fruit of the promise of eternal life, when Jesus comes to take us to heaven, to spend eternity in heaven with him. He goes on, he gives us another example. And in, in verse 10, he says, an, an example of suffering and patience, brothers, Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job and have seen the purpose of the, of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Check this out. He says, establish your hearts, establish your hearts. Like the farmer, wait for the coming of the Lord. And then he says, consider those blessed. 
He's trying to remind us of the examples, the examples of the the prophets in the Old Testament that went and spoke boldly, but yet were persecuted. He's trying to remind us of Job. And if you know the story of Job, you know this well, but if you don't, you should go read it. But Job is, uh, uh, he loses everything. He loses everything that he has in his life. He actually, at one point is covered with boils. And, and God allows the accuser to, to do this to him, to kind of test Job. God says, have you considered my servant Job? And even after he loses everything, Job long suffers and is patient and reliant on God. We find at the end that Job is restored even more than he had before. But what James is trying to do for us, he's trying to say, establish your hearts in heaven. Look to the God that is coming back, that Jesus is returning. But he's also saying, consider those that have blessed, the prophets that have gone before you, Job as an example, and I would add Jesus. I would add Jesus as an example of the one that came as a prophet, that spoke boldly on behalf of God and suffered. But as a result of what he did, we have the opportunity to be forgiven and have eternal life. And we'll end with this, verse 12. But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. James is trying to get us to live out what we're, what we're saying, to not just use flippant words and not use the name of God irreverently. He's trying to help us make decisions that are letting our life speak, letting us uh put the proof in the pudding, put the rubber to the road that we're actually living out what we've said, that we trust God. We trust that God is long suffering, that he is going to show up, that he is going to take care of us. He wants us to let our life speak. And in doing so, he's calling us to that patience, to that endurance, that long suffering that he is desiring for us. So I pray that you would do that. I pray that as we discover again and again, the heart of the savior, that we would remember that God defines himself as long suffering. That Jesus is the example of endurance as he comes to earth and dies on the cross for our sins, endures with the disciples and the Pharisees and all his followers. That the spirit is uh, executing patiently that transformation from one degree of glory to another. And I pray that you would do exactly what James says, that you would establish your hearts that you would remember that God is still in control despite what it might feel like. Don't be impatient like the Israelites. God is still in control. That you would consider those that are blessed, that you would read the scripture, that you would look back on the people that have walked the journey, that have long suffered, that have have gone through that persecution and that you would uh, take encouragement from them. And then lastly, you would let your life speak. You would let your life speak and it would be an example of patience to the people around you. That we wouldn't grumble, that we wouldn't say things we don't mean, but we would rest and rely on the Lord God, on Jesus who endured the cross, that we would keep our eyes fixed on him as it says in the book of Hebrews, that we would be people like Jesus that are rooted and grounded in long suffering. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for the chance to gather. 
Lord, whether it's digitally or in our homes or through whatever it means it may be, Lord, we thank you also for the truth of your word. Father, we praise you that you first define yourself as a God that is long-suffering. And God, I know that in my own life, I have messed up and made mistakes and I myself have maybe at times even taken advantage of your patience and your long-suffering. And Lord, I, I confess that to you. And Lord, in this season that we're in currently, it seems like it's just refining us even more so. Lord, I pray that, that those that are being tested in their patience, that they would establish their hearts, that they would set their hearts on you. They would choose not to grumble. They would choose to live by example of you, that they, they would consider those that have come before them that withstood and went through persecution that went through hard times yet remained faithful. And Lord, I pray that we would be a people that let our life speak. Lord, we wouldn't say words we don't mean. We wouldn't make decisions that were just, I just throw in the towel and I just do this. But Lord, we would be people that honor you with our lives. Honor you with what we do and the way we respond. God, we praise you. We look to you. And it's in your son's name, we pray. There's one more thing I, I wanna share with you. And I was, I was thinking about patience and suffering and long suffering. I, I thought actually of the coming of Jesus. And in Luke chapter two, we're told of a man that is promised that he would not die until he saw the consolation of Israel. This is what it says. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him that the whole, by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. He came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought him in, the child Jesus, to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles for the glory to your people, Israel. My last challenge for us that as we be people that live out patience, the product of patience is that we get to see the promises of God. Simeon did it. It was promised to him. He was patient. He was just, he was devout. He waited and waited and waited and waited that he wouldn't die until he saw Jesus. And then he's there in the temple when Mary and Joseph bring him in to present him in the temple and he gets to see Jesus. He gets to see the promise that God has made to him and to the world. So as we practice patience, I pray that we would see the product of patience in our life, that we get to see the promises of God fulfilled. God bless you.